Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, welcome to all of you here at Central Campus, as well as those of you who are meeting together at one of our regional campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and in the northwest part of Calgary, and also, of course, to those of you who are watching online. We're in a series on work, on what the Bible has to say about work, and as you saw in this little video clip just a moment ago, many people link happiness in life to how satisfied they are with their work. Now, if that is true, then a lot of people are truly unhappy because research tells us that two out of three people are not happy with their work. Most people see work as a necessary evil that they have to endure in order to acquire the means to do the things that they really want to do. And that is truly unfortunate because this is not how God intended for us to see our work. As we learned over the last couple of weeks, the Bible reveals three truths about work. And the first is is that God had a wonderful plan for work in the beginning. He intended work to be a gift, uh, a source of blessing for us in this life. He designed us with abilities and skills, intelligence and creative minds so that we could be co-workers with him in taking care of his creation. And so whether we fix cars or do surgery, uh, serve as a homemaker or as a volunteer somewhere or study as a student, all moral and honest work matters to God. The second truth that we see in the Bible concerning work is that sin destroyed God's plan for work. When Adam and Eve exercised their God-given freedom and said no to God, sin and selfishness and evil invaded our planet, resulting in a broken and a troubled world laced with sickness and death and injustice and natural disasters and chaos. All creation was affected in a negative way, including work. Genesis 3.17 tells us that sin made work a struggle involving pain, toil, sweat, and frustration. Genesis 3.19 tells us that sin brought the curse of death into the world, making our work futile. King Solomon realized that without God, all of his work was meaningless. He said it was a chasing after the wind, for one day he would die. And the fruit of his efforts would die with him. However, the third major truth we see in the scriptures concerning work is good news. And that is that Jesus Christ brought meaning back to our work. Oh, make no mistake, God did not remove the painful, sweaty part of work. But in Christ, he did replace the meaninglessness of it all. You see, when you embrace Christ by faith and develop a close friendship with him, your perspective begins to change in every area of life, including your attitude and your perspective on work. You are no longer working for your earthly boss, but you're working for the Lord. You no longer longer have a nothing job, 
Because all honest work that is done for the Lord is sacred. God promises to use it to further his kingdom purposes. You no longer try to construct or manufacture your identity and meaning through your work. No, you find your identity and meaning in who God says that you are. And that makes all the difference. This is a summary of the major truths that we see in the scriptures regarding work. And they can be life-changing when we embrace them. Now the question I want to address in this message is one that I am often asked about. And that is, how do I effectively represent Christ in the workplace? Let's face it, we serve an amazing God. And the more we study the scriptures and see how true and how relevant the Bible is in all areas of life, including our work, when we reflect on how knowing Jesus and how following Jesus has transformed our life and our character and our attitude and our perspective in life, when we see how Christ has radically changed in a good way, our marriages and our family life, the lives of people that we know, we want to introduce people to this Jesus that we know and love, including those that we work with. But the question is, how do we do that in our workplace and not get fired? How do we represent Christ and tell others about our love for Jesus in a way that honors our Lord and yet also honors those that we work for or those that we work with? Well, the Bible not only challenges us in Acts 1.8 to be witnesses. In fact, the Bible suggests and it says we are witnesses. We may not be great witnesses, but we are witnesses. We witness to something. In Acts 1.8 we're told to be witnesses, but it also tell, helps us to know, the Bible helps us to know what that looks like. To begin with, you represent Christ well when you do your work with a Christ-like attitude. I'd like you to turn your Bibles into Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 verse 22. And this is what we read there. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now again, as I explained last week, even though Paul's addressing slaves here, he is not condoning slavery. He is simply recognizing it as a reality in that day. I remind you that Christ's mission was not to start a bloody revolution against the existing authorities of that day. It was to start a revolution of the heart, knowing that as people's hearts were transformed by God's love, in time they would begin to change what is wrong in our world. Furthermore, I should clarify that when Paul says right up front here in the first verse, the first sentence, obey your earthly masters in everything, he's not saying if we're called upon by our boss to do something illegal or to compromise our faith that we're required to do it. That is not what he's saying. No, he's calling us to have an attitude of respect and cooperation with those that we work with 
and particularly those that we work for. And not just when they're around, but in the way we talk about them when they are not around. Now in the second half of verse 22, Paul goes on to call us to work with sincerity of heart, which means we do our work with integrity and honesty. It means we're dependable. We do what we say we're going to do. We, we finish what we start. And we do it with a right spirit, with a positive spirit. Sincerity of heart also means that our respect for those that we work with is genuine. Whether we report to them or whether they report to us or whether we're peers, we always seek to treat those in the workplace the way that we would want to be treated. Respecting others means that you don't talk critically about people behind their back. Unless, of course, you are their employer and you are discussing their performance. And then the discussion should focus on defining reality and determining a course of action. Respecting others means that you don't see others as a means to accomplish your agenda or to achieve your goals. Respect, respecting others means you don't see those you work with as your competitor or as your enemy that you ignore or try to make look bad in the eyes of others, particularly your supervisor. In short, having a Christ-like attitude at work means you daily ask Jesus to help you see everyone that you work with as he sees them. And so how does Jesus see them? He loves them. They are his kids who have gone missing spiritually. And he longs for them to come home. And he wants to use you and me to show them his love. Pastor Jarrett Stevens, he tells of a time when he was in high school in California. And he worked part-time as a pizza delivery guy. He is Caucasian and he worked mostly with a bunch of Hispanic fellows. And one of the things he noticed quite early in his employment there was how the managers and the waiters joked about and mistreated the Hispanic fellows. And this really bothered him, and so he tried to befriend them, and he particularly developed a, a close friendship with a fellow named Carlos. Carlos was married. He had been in the United States for a couple of years already. He had to leave his wife and his son back in El Salvador because he just didn't have the means to bring them to the United States. Eventually, he made enough money to bring them over, and when they got to the United States, he made the decision to start a window cleaning and a house cleaning business. And when he mentioned it to Jared, Jared went home and said to his parents, hey, you need to have a house cleaner. You need a guy like Carlos that I work with. I know that you're not really looking for a house cleaner, but believe me, you really need one. I mean, look at my room. Carlos could be busy for a week. And so his parents agreed to hire Carlos, and in time, as they got to know Carlos, they grew to love him. They grew to love his family. They decided to invest in his life, not just with their time, but even their money. They helped him buy his first truck for his fledgling company. It was such a huge day for Carlos and his wife 
to get this truck and to be able to put his company's name on the side of it. Carlos and his wife, Sonia, had a baby girl in a time because of their relationship with Jared and his family, they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Their children embraced Christ and were baptized. And now Carlos is an elder of the church that he attends and has over 10 employees working for his growing company. You see, friends, that's what can happen when you have a Christ-like attitude at work, when you respect people, when you pray for them, when you love them the way that Jesus loves them. When you daily look at that boss or that fellow employee that you don't like very much and you whisper a prayer in that moment and you say, Jesus, this person doesn't matter that much to me, but I know he matters to you. And so please help me to treat them the way that you would. I remind you that God makes no mistakes. You are where you are at this point in time for a reason. You may think that you're solely working where you are to get a paycheck. But have you ever prayed and asked God to show you why he has you in that place beyond the paycheck? One of those reasons, of course, is to be faithful, to be the best worker you can be. But the other is to be salt and light in the lives of the people that you work with. Have you ever considered that you may be the closest that they ever get to seeing what Jesus is like? Have you ever thought about the fact that you may be the only Bible that they ever read? As followers of Jesus, we are a witness, not only to God's reality, but of God's love. You know, I'm sure that the last thing most of you ever would want to be is a preacher. Some of you have told me that. And as a preacher, I can appreciate why you would feel that way. I am just joking. Last week, someone asked me, what don't you like about your job? And I said, people. <laughs> I'm just joking. Really, I really am. I love people. I really do. Yes. Well, at least most people. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, I digress. But my point is, you know, uh, if I asked you, I, I just have this feeling that most of you would like to say, you know, probably the last thing I would want to be is a preacher. But, but here's the thing. If you're a Christ follower, then you are a preacher. And you say, how so? Your life preaches all week. That's how so. You are a walking, talking sermon each and every day. The question is, what kind of sermon is my life? What kind of sermon is your life preaching? And so what is one thing that, that you can do differently this week, at work, at home, at school, in that place that you volunteer, 
to have a more Christ-like attitude. What is the one thing that you can do differently this week to treat people the way that Jesus would? You represent Christ well, first of all, when you do your work with a Christ-like attitude. Furthermore, you represent Christ well when you do your work to the best of your ability. In Colossians 3.23, Paul writes this, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. George Barna and George Gallup have conducted numerous surveys on how one's faith impacts one's work. And the results have repeatedly shown that there are very little behavioral differences between Christians and non-Christians in the workplace. In fact, George Gallup indicates from his research that only about 12% of professing Christians have any kind of positive, winsome spiritual influence on the job. It appears that Christians seem to slip and slide into one of two ditches in this matter. Some are totally mute about their faith in Jesus. No one even knows that they're Christ followers. While others are too aggressive in sharing their faith at work. Bill Hybels tells of a time in the early 1980s that he served as a chaplain for the Chicago Bears. The team drafted a talented college kid, and when he showed up, he was on a mission. And that was to evangelize the coaches and every player on the team. He even determined to convert the cheerleaders. He was a new Christian, had an unbelievable passion and zeal. Heibel sat him down and, and tried to explain to him that he needed to build credibility as a football player first. That he had to practice hard, that he had to play hard, that he'd do his best as a football player. He encouraged him to take the time to build relationships with the players and, and the coaches, to build some relational currency with the team. Well, he couldn't be bothered with all that. And as a result, he learned a very tough lesson. He would do things like kneel down next to an offensive lineman who was in the middle of bench pressing 400 pounds. And he would share a scripture with him and begin to uh, talk about his faith with him. And the lineman responded saying, look, missionary boy, shut up and work out like the rest of us. In a short time, he was the brunt of many jokes. It was an ugly way that he was treated by most of the players. And when the coaches were deciding who they were going to cut from the team, they sent him home. He lost his job. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. This is what Paul says in verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not depend on anyone. Let me give you a little background to this passage. The Christians at Thessalonica, they were convinced that Jesus was coming back very soon. And as a result, some of them were so passionate about sharing their faith that they were neglecting their work. And in some cases, were even quitting 
their jobs. But in doing so, they weren't taking care of their family. They were becoming a burden to others, including the church. And so Paul basically says, look, people aren't going to respect you if you're spending more time at work talking about Jesus than doing the work that you're being paid for. In verse 11, he basically tells them to mind their own business and to get back to work and to trust God to use their godly life and their good, faithful work that they do to point people to Jesus. Now, of course, there comes a time when we have to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus. There comes a time when we have to verbalize our faith. Some people never get around to that, and that is so unfortunate. But the point that Paul is making here is that people aren't going to respect you, and therefore they're not even going to hear you if you have a lousy attitude at work or aren't being faithful in your work. Again, in Colossians 3, Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. In other words, be conscientious about your work. Throw yourself into it. Work with enthusiasm. Do your job well. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep developing your skills in, in, in whatever it is you do to get better at what you do. Be the best you can be in your line of work. And be diligent. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul challenges Timothy to be the best pastor he can be. To set an example in speech and in conduct and in love, in faith and purity. And then in verse 15, he sums it all up saying, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Paul's instructions here to Timothy really applies to all workers. Be diligent in your work. Show up on time. Do what is expected and then some. Be humble, ethical, and honest in your work. Keep your word. Do what you say you will do. Give your very best to those who employ you. And be careful not to waste time, like using company time to surf the net, or having these long hallway conversations or on the phone with fellow employees over frivolous or non-related uh, uh, work topics. Your employers deserve, deserve your very best for the hours that you're being paid for. Honor your supervisor. Be kind and gracious to your fellow workers and to those who are reporting to you. Pray for them and encourage them to be with honest praise and compliments. Resolve conflicts quickly and enjoy a little laughter and fun with your fellow workers from time to time. Be a team player and share the credit with them. Don't despise the little jobs. Have a humble and servant heart that communicates that no task is beneath you and be willing to do whatever needs to be done. Resist caving into the prevailing philosophy today that asks, why should I do more than I have to do? 
and instead have an attitude that serves beyond the basic requirement. An attitude that goes the extra mile with a smile. Now we're not talking here about becoming a workaholic. That's the danger. We're not talking here about falling into the trap of pleasing others. No, we're talking about a person who has a healthy attitude toward his work and who finds enjoyment in his work. If for no other reason but because he is, as Paul says here in verse 23, working for the Lord and therefore is not repulsed by the idea of doing more than what is expected. All that to say, if you want a greater influence for Christ in your workplace, then focus on being the most diligent and effective and positive worker in your work environment. You know, using sports terminology, seek to be a franchise player. Someone who adds huge value to the organization. Not for your own glory, not so that you can make it to the top of your organization or company. Not to make more money to spend on yourself. No. To bring glory to Jesus. To point people to Jesus through your life, through your work ethic, through your character. Because, friends, hear me on this. Witnessing is not just about what a Christian says. Witnessing is something a Christian is. It is something a Christian does as a person and as a worker. People respect and they will listen to franchise players or people of character who are faithful and diligent, who do their very best and constantly strive to improve. On the other hand, those who are just putting in time, have a bad attitude or a poor work ethic, or are just doing sloppy work, they have virtually no credibility or influence in the workplace, no matter how nice or how spiritual they may be. You show me a person who has a powerful witness and influence at work, and I'll show you a person who faithfully does his or her work, and then some. You represent Christ well when you do your work with a Christ-like attitude and when you do your work to the best of your ability. And then finally, you represent Christ well when you're prepared to give an answer for the hope within. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now notice that Peter challenges us right off the top to revere Christ as Lord. If we're going to have any kind of influence in our workplace, we need to remember that Jesus is Lord. 
We need to remember that he is 10 steps further down the road than we are. We need to remember that he's doing things behind the scenes that we don't even know anything about yet. We need to remember that he's in control. And that he wants to see people come to faith in him more than even we do. He wants his children to come home. And so we need to believe that he is at work in the lives of those people that we're working with or in our community. And that as we pray and as we listen to him and follow his lead through his whispers, that he is living his life through us and doing what we could never do in our own strength. We're in partnership with him on all this. We're not alone in this. And what that means is we won't need to change everyone's screensaver to John 3.16 or preach at our co-workers every time that we talk to them. No, as we do our work with a Christ-like attitude and we do our work to the best of our ability and we pray for God to shine through us and to do what we can't do, people are going to start seeing Jesus in us. They're going to sense his love, his joy, his peace, his patience in us. And somewhere along the way, they're going to ask about why we're so unlike so many other people in a good way. Which brings us to a couple of very important questions. The first question is this. Are you willing to do what most Christians, according to surveys, are not willing to do? And that is to talk about your faith and what Jesus means to you in your workplace when the opportunity arises? You see, as important it is to live a godly life there comes a time when we need to open our mouths and we need to verbalize our love for Jesus. Are you willing to do that? The second question is this. Are you prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus? If someone asks you why you're so kind to your coworkers, because typically in workplaces, that isn't always the case. If someone asks you why you're so patient with your clients, or why you take your work so seriously and often do more than what is expected, are you prepared to explain that this flows out of your relationship with Jesus? If someone asks you what you believe, or what your opinion is about something that happened on the news. If someone asks you why you believe what you believe, are you prepared to give an answer? Tim Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavor, he tells the story of a young college student who landed a job on Madison Avenue in one of the world's most prestigious firms. And shortly after she got there, she made the mistake she made a mistake that cost the company nearly $25,000. Now, Madison Avenue, as you know, is not a world defined by grace. And she expected to be fired by the end of the day. 
Her boss, however, who was a Christ follower, he went before his board of directors and convinced them to allow the blame for her mistake to fall on him. You see, he was a man who aligned his convictions with his work. When this woman heard what her boss had done, she came to him in tears. And she asked him why in a cutthroat atmosphere he would choose to cut his own throat for her. He answered by sharing how Jesus had done a similar thing for him, absorbing the wrath that he deserved. And because of the amazing grace of, that Jesus has shown me, he said, I want to extend mercy and grace to others whenever I can. That is an example of what it means to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have within. Now I want you to notice that Peter goes on to say here in 1 Peter, near the end of verse 15, that as we give an answer for the hope that we have, we're to do it with gentleness and with respect. Because Jesus is Lord and is at work in the lives of our co-workers, there's no need for us to be aggressive and to force things and to be disrespectful in the manner that we communicate to them or to attack their values or their views or their faith or lack of faith. Rather, the Apostle Peter here calls us to be prepared to give a clear and an honest response to their question for the hope that we have within us and to do it in a loving and a gentle way, trusting that God, trusting God to do what we can't do, and that is to invade that person's life with his grace and to change their heart. Randy Kilgorn, the vice president of Marketplace Research, which is an association of people who are seeking to find ways to integrate faith and work, he's been doing significant research on how people perceive their coworkers who claim to be Christians. And a question that he's been asking now for a number of years of people is this, what are the key things you want from your coworkers who claim to be Christians? And here are the five top answers that he's received. Number one, I wish my Christian co-workers knew more about their faith, what they believe, and why. Number two, I wish my Christian co-workers had more hope in hard times. In other words, when bad things happen, like terrorist attacks or hurricanes or sickness or marital breakdown, people are looking to Christians for hope. Number three, I wish my Christian coworkers were more curious about the hard questions of life so that when asked those questions, they would have answers or at least be able to point us to answers. Number four, I wish my Christian coworkers behaved more honorably, which I assume are much of the things that we've just talked about 
in this message. That Christians would have more godlike attitudes, greater integrity, stronger worth ethic. And number five, I wish my Christian co-workers were more compassionate. In other words, that they would be more loving and accepting, less harsh, judgmental, and insensitive. In commenting on this list, Brian Wilkerson says, Notice that people aren't bothered by the fact that we're passionate about our faith. They just wish we weren't so hard on people who don't share our faith. Notice they didn't say, I wish Christians would keep their faith to themselves. It appears that they're far more open to talking about spiritual things than we have come to believe. And that they are particularly interested in talking about the hard questions of life and Christianity's response to those questions. Notice also, he says, that they didn't say, I wish Christians would loosen up and party a little more and sin a little more, bend the rules to close a deal. All they want from us is that we would be serious about our work, true to our faith, honest about our struggles, and respectful of those who see things differently than we do. Randy Kilgorn, he summarizes his research with good news and bad news for Christians. He says the good news is that Christians are still the go-to people when life gets hard and people are looking for answers. The bad news is, is that when they do look to us for hope and for help, they are often disappointed by the quality of our faith and our inability to respond or to answer their questions. Which leads me to ask in closing, are you prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ? Are you taking steps to be prepared? Do you know what you believe and why? And are you able to share your faith with gentleness and with respect? I want to get very practical at this point and just point out that it was for this very reason that over 10 years ago, I did a series, a multitude of messages on what we believe. And I followed that up seven years ago and did a series of messages entitled, Why We Believe. And it's for this very reason that beginning this Christmas Eve and then continuing most weekends into next year, right up to Easter weekend, I'm going to be doing an updated version of the Why Believe series again. In part to help prepare us to give an answer for the hope that is within us. This is critical, folks. But also to give us all an opportunity to invite those people in our sphere of influence who, according to what the research seems to be showing us, are genuinely seeking answers to their questions. The question is, do we care about them enough and love them enough? Do we have enough courage to begin to pray and to invite them? Even if you heard that series seven years ago, I want to challenge you to come prepared to refresh your thinking and to sharpen your answers to these issues. And to begin now to pray about who in your sphere of influence you need to invite Christmas Eve and again in the new year as we get into the Why Believe series. 
Now, I said to our staff last week that I would watch the Alpha series, for example, a hundred times if each time I was watching it with a friend who is watching it for the first time and who doesn't know Jesus. Because Jesus has called us to do more than just study the Bible and to glean new insights from the Bible week after week after week. He's called us to make disciples, friends. And that means sharing the good news of Jesus with people who are far from God through the scriptures ourselves, through tools like the Alpha Course or the Why Believe series, again and again and again until everyone has heard. Friends, people in our workplace, in our communities, they need the Lord. And as we just learned, they are open to having spiritual conversations with us. And I plead with you, therefore, let's reach out to them. Let's love them. Let's serve them. And let's invite them to meet the Jesus that we know and that we love. If you're bored with your work, imagine how all of that could change if you were to embrace the conviction that you are working for God, not your boss. If you were to embrace the conviction that you are where you are for a purpose. If you were to embrace the conviction that everything you do in Jesus' name is not in vain, and if you were to decide today that you are going to live and work in such a way that you will gain the respect of those who know you and who work with you, imagine how meaningful and exciting your work would become, whether it's volunteering as a homemaker whether it's in the workplace, if one of your coworkers were to turn to you and ask why you are the way you are or what it is you believe, imagine how alive you would feel as a Christ follower if you were prepared to tell them a little bit about what Jesus means to you and give them an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus. And if you were to invite them to join you to take in the Why Believe series at one of our campuses on the weekend, and then invite them to your small group during the week to discuss the questions that are raised by that Why Believe series. My friends, you matter to God. Your work matters to God. And so do the people that you work with. God has you there to be the best worker that you can be, but also to be salt and light in the life of those people. May it be so, to the glory of God and for the sake of a world who needs the Jesus that we know and that we love. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. 
For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 